You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Morning and welcome yet again to Grace Community Church. My name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder here at Grace. Um, we're going to jump into the sermon in a few minutes, but there are several things I just want to mention very briefly. Next Sunday, we have a discovery lunch after church. It's discovery pizza is really probably what we ought to call it. We'll probably have pizza next Sunday after lunch. For those of you who are brand new, you've been coming even three or four months but you've never met the elders. We're going to have elders and staff there, and we'd love uh, for you to be there. It's just an informal way to get to know uh, some of the, the, the people who are serving here at Grace Community Church. Um, and then the potluck that these guys were talking about, coming up in three weeks, I believe it is. Look, let me just start preparing you now. I will say it again. I mean, look around you. We don't have a ton of open seats right now, we will have a lot of people that day, and we're going to need a lot of food that day. So be prepared to bring as much as two or three times the amount that you would typically bring to a potluck. So you can get started, you know, go ahead and cook some stuff and freeze it, you know, or preferably just stay up all night Saturday night, cook it so it'll be fresh. But whatever way you get it here, that's okay. We just, we're just going to need a lot of food on that day. And then if you really want to examine whether this is the place that God wants you to be, and we want you to be where God wants you to be, as much as we would love for you who have been visiting and checking us out to say this is the place, we want to make sure you understand that coming from the Lord. And one of the best ways to do that is to go through our Grace Connection class, which begins the Sunday after Labor Day at 9 o'clock. We'll have child care, We'll meet in the back and uh, talk about what if what we believe the Bible teaches. What are the primary doctrines that we believe here at Grace? What does elder rule mean? What does that look like? I've never been a part of a church that's led by elders. What is that all about? We go through all of that. The purpose of church, purpose of Grace Community, though our understanding of God's purpose for the church, which is Grace Community Church and churches everywhere. So. You'll see about the opportunities you have to serve, meet a lot of the people that um, uh, lead ministries here at Grace. So that's the, 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 the Sunday after Labor Day. If you would uh, show up for that, we would love to have you. Sign-up sheets are uh, on the table where the coffee is in the, in the welcome room right after, especially if you're going to be here next week. Um, please sign up. We'd love to know how many are going to be here. Get an idea. If you've been coming for a while and we have your information, we'll probably be in touch with you. If, we, if you don't sign up and just say, hey, you're going to be able to make it. Uh, again, no pressure. Just wanted to know, make sure that we have enough pizza. Uh, Ricky Lee's family eats enough pizza for <laughs> So we, we just need to make sure that we've got enough. Well, speaking of pizza... What a segue, I don't know. <laughs> How would you define the good life? All the pizza you can eat probably is the way a lot of kids would define the good life. What would it take for you to feel like that life is just about as good as it's ever going to get? I mean, would you think that such a life would involve uh, adequate, and adequate being a relative term, adequate money so that you don't have to worry about 
any kind of special emergency coming up and hey, you can just enjoy whatever foods that you like and buy the clothes and cars and houses, anything that you want. Would toys be involved in the good life? Perhaps you're, you're, you're far more mature uh, than being content with such a shallow existence. For you, it's all about relationships. You know, Christmas time. I was thinking about it this morning. Christmas and all the family, they know it's going to be here this year. This is the year that they're supposed to be there. And I was thinking about our Christmas Eve service um, and, and, and the family that we have here at Grace. And maybe for you, it's all about relationships. You know, the kind of like, we don't have much, but we have each other. And that's all that matters. I mean, the family is intact. We love each other. We would do anything for one another. And we love nothing more than just being in one another's company. We have our health and our happiness. What else do you need? Or maybe you're even more noble and it's about others. You have a vision and a, and a purpose in mind, a goal to be achieved that is constructed for the good of other people. Nothing gives you more pleasure than helping someone live up to his or her potential. And when there's a crisis, when someone is in great need, you love to just be there and help. Give a hand of, of, of help in a time of, of crisis. When we think about the good life, there are several elements that most would think necessary, especially in our day. These are the kinds of things that you hear today. Be true to yourself. Follow your heart. Follow your dreams. Do what you love. Make a difference in this world, in your time. You're here to make a difference. You know what the common denominator in all of these pursuits is? Me, with a capital M and a capital E. I mean, even when I want to improve the lives of others, my efforts are often done so that others will think well of me. So that I can put it on social media and say, today I humbly served X number of people in the soup kitchen. <laughs> you may be right. Indeed, there are many who truly seek to serve others above all else. But are you sure that is not you? Even with all our resources and the opportunities before us, not many people are consistently happy in our day. And the ones who are rarely think about the good life. They don't think what it is that will make them happy. They are rather thinking about others. And for many of those who are truly happy, humility is the key. True humility that comes from union with the one who was perfectly humble and is perfectly humble. Jesus, he's glorified, exalted. In this life, Jesus was humble and meek and held his tongue. There were times he didn't hold his tongue. That's Humility doesn't mean always holding your tongue, but it means using your tongue and holding your tongue at the right times. Our text today is Colossians 3, 12 to 17. And the focus is on life in the body of Christ. When those outside the church think about Jesus, they look at the church. Well, look, your individual life, your testimony is very important. But when people think about the Lord, they think about the way people are at that church down there or this church. Or, or people are in church. I've been to church. I see what goes on in there. I don't want to have anything to do with God if that's the way Christians are. 
We as a church are always presenting a picture of Jesus to the world. So who is the Jesus that they see when they look at us? This is the third week that we find ourselves in the third chapter of Colossians. There's a reason for that. I've chosen to be three weeks in, in, in Colossians in, in these sermons. But it's because of the way that it's structured. Next week, we're going to finish up our study on this short but powerful book. The reason we're stopping at Colossians 4.1 is that it was only a couple of months ago that we were in Colossians 4, verses 2 to 6. And then after verse 6, most of it is kind of housekeeping and um, greetings that Paul gives uh, from those that are with him and to uh, a few of the people that he knows there in, in Colossae. So we're finishing up next Sunday when we think about um, the ways that our union with Christ ought to impact the relationships that, that we have to deal with every day on an individual basis in our homes, uh, at our jobs, places of work, those kinds of things. Today, in preparation for a look at verses 12 through 17, going to read Colossians 3, 1 through 17 as we have. This will be, again, the third week in a row because this whole unit goes together. It's all tied in back to verse 1, 1 of Colossians, but especially verses 1 through 17 are a unit. If you've been here the whole time, I'm sure that you'll see how it all ties together, even as we read. Our custom is to stand for the reading of Scripture, so if you would please stand for Colossians 3, verses 1 through 17. If then, or since then, you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Just think about that. When Christ comes, we're going to be just like him in glory. We'll be seen as we've never been seen before. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all, and that is your identity is in Christ. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 
And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms, songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Our Father, we do give thanks to you through <coughs> Jesus Christ. We recognize that it is his perfect life and his sacrificial death that makes us holy and righteous. We can never become righteous. We can never, uh, Lord, acquire righteousness. We can't purchase it. All It's all been purchased by the blood of Christ. And so, Father, as we today come to your word and we give thanks to you in Jesus, we pray that our hearts would understand what it means to be united with Christ and that we would apply this to our lives and actively pursue righteousness even as our union with Christ is what makes us righteous. So confusing and yet clear as it can be, our hope is in Christ. Let us live for him. Bless our time in the word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and be seated. So Colossians 3, 12 through 17 is about family life at its best. And it's building on the foundation of Colossians 3, verses 1 through 11. We're going to think about this good life and organize it into four categories, beginning with this. It is our privilege and responsibility to daily affirm God's gift to us of union with Christ, becoming like him, in character and spirit. That's one of those points that you almost have to say, okay, let's close in prayer because it's so long. <laughs> it's a privilege and a responsibility, is it not? To every day affirm that we are united with Christ. He is united with us. And I'm not sure how anyone can read the Bible and, and, and think of the life of a believer as a, as a take it or leave it type decision based on the people you happen to be with and the circumstances of the hour. Seems clear to me that Jesus makes this life an all or nothing proposition. Follow me. Well, let me go back and bury my father. Let the dead bury the dead. You follow me. There's more to it than what it just sounds like, but Jesus understanding hearts understood this man's attachment to home. He was like, you, you need to come home with me right now. But Clearly, Jesus calls for our complete commitment to him. Not that we live as we should every moment of the day, even though we're united with Christ. As we talked about last week, a lot of those sins that he was addressing were addressed because people were still struggling with him. And he was saying, you used to live like that. The wrath of God is coming against people who commit these kinds of sins. Why do you live like that? Get over that. Let the Lord help you through the struggle that you have. So we don't live as we should every moment of the day, but we should always be aware that following Jesus is all or nothing. That's what he's called us to. 
The trouble with most of us is the same trouble that the disciples had who were following Jesus to the cross. They didn't know it, but as they were following him to the cross, they were saying, hey, look, I'm going to be on his right hand. You can have the left if you want it, but you can get ahead of these other bozos. The disciples were, who's going to be the greatest? They were doing it around the table. They were, who's going to be the greatest? We compare ourselves with others, thinking we know what is best for us and, by the way, everyone else. We take our eyes off Jesus and put them on to ourselves. But it is our privilege and it is our responsibility to awake every day and put our eyes on Jesus. How do we do that? Jesus is the living word of God. The written word of God is always, the Bible is always pointing us to Jesus. And just imagine as we are pointed to Jesus' character and to his spirit, we are united with him in baptism. Romans 6, Colossians 3, uh, companion passages. Dead to sin, alive to, to God in Christ Jesus. So who are we in Christ? Verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That's who we are. We're God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And we're to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So, but, but wait, wait. Stop for just a moment. We who follow Christ, who have trusted his death on the cross as payment for our sins, we are his chosen ones. He chose us. Look around. Why wouldn't he choose this bunch? We know, don't we? We're looking good on Sunday morning. Most of us are, you know. We're, we're doing our best. We're, we're trying to put forth this image. But we know who we are deep down. I know who I am this week. It's not a pretty sight, but I am chosen by God. He loves me that much that he chose me. Are you amazed sometimes? Those of you who are married, that your spouse chose you. It's nothing compared to God choosing us, as wonderful as that is. He chose me, she chose me, he chose me. He loves me. And I'm holy. Wait, wait just a second. I'm not holy. Well, if you belong to Jesus, you are. In fact, Consider in John 17, 23. David was in John 17, beginning in verse 24 this morning. Now look at verse 23 of John 17. Consider the union, uh, the extent of your union with Christ, even as Jesus prayed for you in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is praying and he said, I in them and you, Father, in me, that they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Do you understand the implications of God the Father loving you even as he loves the Son? Think about it. Well, God loves Jesus. Yes, he loves me, but in a different sort of way. It's not Jesus saying... The world should know that you love your, your children, my brothers and sisters, literally, in Christ, the way that you love me. 
Can you fathom the extent of Jesus in you just as the Father is in Jesus? <laughs> no, I can't either. We do understand, though, with this being our reality, how as God's chosen ones, we are holy and beloved. Now, in Colossians 3.12, the Apostle Paul says, live in the reality of your union with Christ. And what does that look like? We're to put on compassionate hearts every morning, just as we put our clothes on. So tomorrow, when you're getting dressed, think about compassionate hearts. And while you're at it, uh, put on kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Probably this is uh, unnecessary because I know that th this is the way that your lives are characterized all the time, right? You just live this way. Humble, kind, patient. <laughs> At the, pro at the very least, we don't, we don't live as much as we should. How do we attain these qualities? If you're united with Christ, they should flow through you, correct? Uh, how does that happen? Is it something that, that we receive or is it something that we work at? Well, it's both. It is truly both. The qualities in verse 12 flow from a heart that is opposite of the heart of the heart that, from which the sins in verses 5 and 8 flow. Uh, all of those, the, the immorality, sexual immorality, and passions, and lust, and, and anger, and, and wrath, all of those things flow from one kind of a heart. These qualities that are in Christ flow from another kind of heart. Now, I, I'm going to guess that most of us, when we think about sins of the flesh and, and, the, and, and the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, we think about these sins as actively pursued. It's something we've got to stop doing. We've got to put it to death, as the scripture says. But over here, if we can put this to death, then we just sort of naturally, we find ourselves in this place where the fruit of the Spirit is working through us. But it's not so. We have to actively pursue the fruit of the Spirit in the same way that we actively put to death this other stuff. Remember. Nature abhors a vacuum, right? It's philosophically, scientifically, I think. Maybe they've come up laterly and said, no, it's not. I tried to run it down, but I'm not a scientist. So anyway, you know the point. When something bad goes out, if you don't replace it with something good, something bad's coming back. <coughs> Just the way Jesus said it would be in our lives. Humility does not come naturally to any of us, even to those who appear to be naturally humble. Look, often the appearance of humility, and that's not the case. I, there are some of you, and I think, wow, that person is so humble. And, and this very well may not be the case with you, but I know in my own life sometimes when I appear to be humble, it, 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 it's, it, it, it's the result of insecurities that are ultimately looking out for self. I read an excellent article this past week in Christianity Today titled The Science of Humility, written by uh, a professor of psychology at George Fox University, Mark McMinn. And, and, and Fox claimed that, this, that studies show that, that they've done a lot of studies now and they show how much happier humble people are than those who are defensive and proud and protective of their space and place in the world. I mean, as believers, we know this to be true based on the Beatitudes, right? 
Ricky's been doing the Beatitudes in, in, in youth ministry. So, so why is it that there are so few of us who practice humility when we understand this is the way to happiness and blessing in the Christian life? Consider this statement from Mark McMahon. Look, it's hard. This is just hard. Humble people flip upside down what comes naturally for most of us. To view ourselves with great generosity and others with suspicion. It's true, isn't it? But it only hurts in a good way if we'll take to heart the need and the biblical command to address and treat others with humility. Jesus McMahon pointed out, is the only one who had something about which to brag. Yet he, he didn't brag. He was compassionate, kind, humble, patient, and forgiving. Which leads us to the next observation in our text. Love, forgiveness, and peace in the family go together. It's all wrapped up. Together, what kind of family would you have without love and forgiveness? Not much of a family, would you? Now, peace may be a bit more fluid quality because of personality and culture. There are some families who love to sit around to just be together at night and read. You know, one's reading Lord of the Rings, the other's reading Chronicles of Narnia, the other's reading a book about parenting. Um, and other families are loud and opinionated, and they really tell each other like it is, but they love and forgive each other. And so you can't look at the personality of a family and say, oh, well, this family is this way and this family is that. I mean, the quiet times might be very bitter. They might not be speaking for a reason. <laughs> Forgiveness is not easy, though. Forgiveness always costs the one who forgives just think when you forgive, you just got to let it go and never get it back. Except that you get it back in large quantities as the Lord blesses you. Regardless of how hard it is, we are commanded to forgive even as we have been forgiven. Verses 12 to 13. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Does it seem strange to you that the responsibility for unity in the church is put on the offended one rather than the offending one? It's not easy, is it? If you have a legitimate complaint against someone, you should pursue that complaint. And get at the bottom of it. No. Just forgive. How, how, how can you? In the same way that God forgave you. You know, all of us, we can go along feeling pretty good about ourselves. And then one day, all of a sudden, we come face to face. The mirror is right here. 
and we get to see that face up close. And it's ugly. What if the Lord treated us like so many offended parties treat their offenders today? Seeking justice for even the most minor offenses. If God is perfect and he is willing to immediately forgive in Christ, who are we, imperfect as we are, to exact justice for crimes committed against us? Furthermore, how can we, how can we know our own hearts, much less measure the exact right amount of judgment and indignation to those who have hurt us? How's that possible? Better to forgive and leave the measuring and judging to God as difficult as it sounds. Verses 14 and 15. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Just like the beautiful harmony we heard the worship team leading us in this morning. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Is it possible to love without forgiving those who you love? When we truly forgive others, we are loving at the highest levels. Even when we don't feel love for those that we forgive. Even when we don't feel it. But we forgive. Not the kind of, all right, I'll forgive you, but I won't forget it. Well, of course you won't forget it. God hadn't forgotten your sins. Well, it says he, he doesn't remember it. No, he doesn't remember our sins against us. He's God. He can't forget. You know, God's never been in one of those, oh, duh, let's see, what are you talking about there? You know, I mean, I remember I forgave you for something, but he, that's not God. But, but the first time we confess, he chooses not to hold it against us from then on. And that's what we have to do. In our relationships, we choose not to hold this thing against the other person. Not easy. How do we do it? Christ did it. Our union with Christ. The peace that the Apostle Paul is talking about in verse 15 is peace in the church. Look, there are lots of other places where the, the, the New Testament talks about peace and the Old Testament as well. Peace in our individual hearts. Peace with God. Peace of God that that floods our individual hearts. But this peace is a community peace. And think of what a testimony that is to the world. We'll think more deeply about this in, in the coming weeks. But for now, actively forgive. Just the way you actively put away these sins, you actively pursue these things, actively forgive those who have hurt you. You know, you're thinking about somebody, aren't you? Right now. You're thinking about somebody you're mad with and justifiably so because what they did was not right. The word of God in Christ to you is to forgive. Even as you have been forgiven. Actively forgive, actively love your brothers and sisters in Christ and work toward peace in this one body to which God has called us. Now the New Testament surely calls the leaders of the church to deal with a divisive brother or sister after this person has been repeatedly warned, really just three times and that's it, is what it says. But serious divisiveness 
the, the leaders are called to lead the church in disciplining this brother or sister. But, but that's a rare thing that happens. Think of how much better many churches that you know would be if the leaders had led the people to take care of divisive people in the church. That's a good thing. But far more likely, far day in and day out, what we're faced with is, are you going to forgive this person? You're going to hang on to it. Most of our conflicts are not to be treated in that way, but to be, be addressed by bearing with one another and forgiving one another. And we are called to be thankful. Be thankful. That's the focus of our third point. A grateful spirit is not automatic, though it should be. Three times, three times in this text, Paul says, be thankful. So what has your spirit been like this past week? Have you griped and complained about the line of cars in front of you or the length of the time you were on hold or the sharp way that someone answered you when you just asked a simple question? I mean, all of these seem to be legitimate complaints. I might be three for three on this one. I mean, but, but what if as we are commanded in the, in, in the text, we gave thanks to God instead? More often than not, the good life involves making the correct decision on either or propositions. Look, you may think that I think that yes is the answer to every question. You know, when I say, what is, is it this or this? Yes, it's, it's this. Look, most of the times it's either this or that. It's one way or the other. Humble or defensive. Forgiveness or bitterness. A thankful spirit or be petty, be vindictive, be morose. One or the other. And we are presenting one way or the other to the world as a church. Will the Jesus that others see in us be the real Jesus or will it be a distorted view of who he is, and in fact, oftentimes worse than what the world lives like. Because when we are upset with somebody else, we feel righteous in our cause. And there is nothing uglier than self-righteousness. What's the antidote? Forgiveness. Compassion. Gratitude to God. Back in verse 14, Paul said, above all these things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And in verse 16, it is almost as if he said, and while we're talking about harmonious sounds within the church, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. You ought to just think how many times David does one of each of these on Sunday morning. Uh, it, it will not surprise you to learn that as I poured over these verses, my heart was humbled and I longed to value others more fully than I am naturally inclined to do. Why? Because the word about Christ, that's literally what it means here. It's kind of like the gospel. 
the word about Christ was shaping me, molding me into the image of Christ. I have a long way to go for sure. If you don't, if you don't, if you have any questions about that, ask Allison. In this, this is a one case, honey. It's okay to lie. Um, just, uh, just say, oh yes, his, he is, he is united with Christ. I have a long way to go, but I am much better than I would be with the word than without the word. Maybe spontaneous singing was more common in the first century than it is today. I mean, you know, rarely, you ever talking with somebody and just break out in song? <laughs> no, I don't either. Uh, but, but, but we have this organized singing on Sunday morning that is very much a part of our, our spiritual formation. And don't you just love it? Like in home group, when, when all of a sudden you break out in spontaneous songs, somebody wants to sing or somebody wants to share a song that they've heard. And, and it's, it is much to be learned about God's truth and his character and his ways through singing. We're so blessed to have the team led by David Calvert. Not only is he choosing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, but he's also uh, connecting it to the text, and he's training other people to do the same. David will be on sabbatical next month and, and, and finishing his dissertation, so pray for him and pray for Sarah, really, is what we need to pray for. Lots of forgiveness, uh, lots of understanding, compassionate hearts, all that. But look, they work hard. All of the worship team works hard to prepare for the vital role that singing plays in our spiritual formation. And that's another reason to be thankful. J.R.R. Tolkien once said, if more of us valued food and cheer and song above hoarded gold, would be a merrier world. You get his point, don't you? And you understand what he's saying. He's talking about gratitude for the gifts of God in our lives. And every time you, you turn around in scripture, people are getting together for a meal. We're getting together this morning for a meal. We're going to share a meal in just a little bit. And there's a, there's a celebration to that. Look, it's a, it's a time where we reflect upon our lives and we're sad about sins that we've committed, but there's, a, there's an element of celebration when we gather here. In the olden times, it was connected with a, a love feast. That at some point during this time where people were just sharing life over food together, someone would say, let's remember, one of the leaders would say, let's remember the body and blood of Christ as we take the bread and the fruit of the vine. Tolkien is talking about our gratitude for the gifts of God in our lives. It, it's the application for the whole text in the life of the church. And it leads us to our final point. Everything. Yes, everything. In the name of Jesus. Why would we not give thanks to the Lord when we think about his love and patience and forgiveness to us? If we truly did everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, we would be much more humble and loving and forgiving because that is who he is. Everything associated with his name is what we're giving thanks for. And it, 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 it assumes that we not only agree with it, but we agree to live in this way as he looks, lives in us and works through us. 
all of this goes together, beginning all the way back to the beginning of Colossians, but especially to the beginning of chapter 3, when we are told that we're united with Jesus in his death and in his resurrections. Set your hearts on things above, not on things on this earth. So as we prepare for the Lord's table, let the words of Colossians 3.17 wash over your heart, filling you with gratitude for his sacrifice. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Father, we look at a text like this and realize how very far we have to go. Cause our hearts to look at a text like this and be glad and be joyful, knowing that it's not up to us we are to pursue it, yes, but truly, if this is going to be accomplished, it has to be done by you, through you, through us, the union that we have with Christ. And so on this day, as we prepare for the table, we, as we are called to do, we confess our sins. We confess the ways in which we have failed to live according to the ways that you have called us to live. We confess that we are selfish and fleshly people. And we need the sacrifice of Christ for our forgiveness. That was accomplished when Jesus said, it is finished. We do not come to a sacrifice today as we take this bread and, and blood. But we come with full hearts, recognizing your call on us and your special presence with us at the table. And so, Lord, forgive us. And even as we repent, we know the seeds of joy are planted in our hearts because of your forgiveness. May we come this day to this table gratitude. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son. Thank you, Spirit, for making sense of all of this to us, helping us to understand the word that you authored through your servant. So, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we worship you. We praise you gather at this table to remember the sacrifice of the Son and to anticipate His coming and to be reminded that in everything that we say and do, you're not, it's not just that you're present, but you live in us, those of us who know Jesus. And we give our thanks in His name. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.com.
www.thepeopleofgod.org.